Today is our uh, 11th and final in installment in our We Believe series. And for the last two months, two and a half months, we've been unpacking the Apostles' Creed together. I hope that it's been uh, as helpful for you as it has been for this uh, Baptist boy from Alabama who did not grow up uh, reciting the ancient church creeds at all. Uh, if you're new and you're like, hey, well, what, what is the Apostles' Creed? Uh, the Apostles' Creed is likely the oldest uh, creed in church history, or another way to say it is a statement of belief dating back to the second century. And so Christ's followers have been reciting these words that we recite for centuries a time, across times and cultures and denominations and generations. Like the creed is one of the great unifiers of our faith, right? The creed, I've said throughout the series, a great summary of the entire biblical narrative starting in uh, creation, Genesis chapter 1, running all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation with the return of Jesus, everlasting life. And what's been super helpful for me, uh, just kind of going through this creed, is like imagining a single mom in Africa reciting these same words in the fourth century that we're reciting together. Or a 16-year-old boy in Asia in the 1100s gathered with his faith family reciting these same words. Or a soldier on the, on the battlefield in the 1700s reciting the Apostles' Creed before stepping into war. Or maybe our brothers and sisters today in the Middle East who are gathering just like this, perhaps under the cover of darkness or secrecy because of persecution or because the government's trying to crack down on them, reciting these same hopeful words that we recite together. And so this has really just helped me connect my faith to something so much bigger than just my current experience as a human being living in Asheville in 2022. Y'all listen, we're a part of this great big family of Jesus spending all times and all places and all generations. And that is a beautiful thing to celebrate. And today we reach the climax of this series as we step into the final words of the Apostles' Creed. We're going to put it on the screen for you right now. Three lines. Uh, we're going to close with these because they're really all connected. So, I believe in, number one, the forgiveness of sins. Number two, the resurrection of the body. And number three, life everlasting. Amen. Now, these three lines, I believe, encapsulate the hope of every Christ follower who has ever lived, is currently living, and who will ever live at any point in time in the future. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but our culture is pretty uncomfortable with the topic of death. Have you, have you noticed that? Like, like we, we just, we don't like talking about it. We don't like thinking about it. We just get kind of weird about the topic of death. In fact, let me ask you a question. If you were to throw a party this Friday night, like, you just invite all your friends, all your neighbors, like, hey, man, we're going to throw some steaks on the grill. We're going to have some good drinks. We're going to have a great time. And at the end of the night, we're going we're gonna to have a, 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 just kind of a round table and discuss our impending deaths. How many people are showing up to your party on Friday night? You're going to have a nice, quiet, relaxing evening alone to yourself, right, if you do that. Right? We, we're just uncomfortable. In fact, we don't even like saying the, the word, do we? So, so we invent all these uh, euphemisms for, for death, like, hey, they, they passed away, they departed, she kicked the bucket, they got their wings, which is my personal least favorite one, right? Let me, can I just say this again? I've said this before. Uh, it's a pet peeve. Uh, don't, listen, humans never become angels and angels never become humans, all right? We don't graduate and get our wings and become angels. Stop saying it. If I see that on Facebook, I'm coming to your house, all right? <laughs> If you're a part of New Life and you, I see it on Facebook, I'm ringing your doorbell, all right? We don't get our wings. Humans never become angels. But we create all these things. In fact, we've created an entire industry to make us feel comfortable around death. 
right? Funeral homes, and God, I'm thankful for funeral homes, but man, we, we dress up the bodies of our loved ones, and we put makeup on them, and make them look as alive as possible, and then people will stand by caskets, and this utter complete lies, like, they look so natural. Looks like they're just taking a nap. And I'm standing there going, what are you talking, they look dead. <laughs> They do not look natural. They don't look like they're alive. They don't look like they, it doesn't look like that at all. And so we dance around the inevitable, pretend like our own dance with death isn't coming. And yet, deep down, we all know that it is. And that terrifies us, which is why we avoid the topic like the plague. In fact, in our culture, we've, we've created this whole idea, perpetuated this idea that death is somehow natural. So we'll say things like, hey, man, this is just kind of the, the circle of life. You know, haven't you seen Lion King? This is just kind of the circle, this part of life. We try to normalize death and try to speak of it as something that's natural. Listen, I want you to know that in the Christian worldview, you need to, you need to hear this. So if you're tuned out, tune back in. Death is the most unnatural thing in the world. There is nothing natural about death in the Christian worldview. Right, you go back to the beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 1, right? The world is created with no death, no suffering, no disease. We were designed to live forever in a perfect creation, perfect communion with our creator and one another as human beings. Now, now listen, y'all, death, death ought to make us angry. Like when somebody you love dies, you ought to be ticked off. Like our, our hearts in those moments ought to cry out and say, this is not the way that it was supposed to be. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, every time I, I bury a kid or a baby, listen, my, I, I, don't, I don't think, oh, this is just the natural cycle of life. No, that, that enrages my heart. Listen, Christian, don't ever normalize death. The Bible calls death the great enemy. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that death entered the world through this thing called sin. Death is a byproduct of sin. Now, our first parents, according to the scriptures, Adam and Eve, they chose their way over God's way, just like you did and just like I have. And sin catapulted the world into this incredible cycle of chaos and suffering and pain and death. Death exists because sin exists. Sin is the problem. It is the root of death. Now, here's the bad news. I got some good news for you, but here, here's the bad news. We are all, listen guys, we are all guilty of participating in this deadly thing called sin. In fact, Paul in the book of Romans says that we are all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul goes on to say that the wages, the result of sin is death. Not just a physical death, but what the Bible calls a second death, eternal separation from a perfect and holy God, which then I think begs the question, what is sin, right? Culture has all kinds of definitions for what sin is now. We've kind of glossed it over, sugar-coated it. All sin is now is like, oh, whoopsie, I, I made a mistake or I had an indiscretion or something like that. So I think we need to look at God's definition of what sin is. I think uh, J.I. Packer, famous theologian, I think his definition of sin is helpful for us, so it'll be on the screens for you, Packer writes this, sin is lawlessness in relation to God as lawgiver, meaning this is God's world, his universe, he gets to call the shots and make the rules, and we've all broken those rules. Sin is rebellion in relation to God as rightful ruler. Sin is missing the mark in relation to God as our designer. 
Sin is guilt in relation to God as judge and uncleanness in relation to God as the Holy One. Sin is perversity touching each one of us at every point in our lives. Listen, y'all, we have all broken God's law. Every single one of us. Now, if you're out there and you're thinking, well, Chris, you don't know me, bro. I'm a good person. I recycle. I drink out of paper straws. I would just say to you, good for you. You're still a bad person, and paper straws are the worst invention of the last half century. All right? It's a dumb idea. They dissolve in your mouth when you're trying to drink your unsweet tea. Terrible idea. So let me just say, if that's you, and you're like, man, not, not me, Chris. Like, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm all good. Uh, let me just ask you a, a couple of questions. Have you ever lied? But yeah, Chris, I have a couple of lies here and there, but like I'm not a, I'm not a, not a liar. Okay, well, have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? Well, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not a thief. Like, remember the paper straw thing? Like, I'm, good, I'm a good person. Have you ever lusted in your heart after someone who was not your spouse? Have you ever been jealous over someone? Have you, ever, have you ever gossiped about somebody behind their back? Have you ever dishonored or disobeyed your parents? Like, man, man, we can't even get halfway through the Ten Commandments and you're all guilty as junk. That's only halfway through. Listen, guys, we are all sinners. Every one of us. Rebels against a perfect and holy God who loved us and created us. Again, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the wages of sin is death. That's one reason why we say at New Life oftentimes we all share a common problem and that's sin and we share a common solution and that's Jesus. So listen, church family, your greatest problem right now is not your messed up marriage, as important as that is. Your biggest problem right now is not that school is really hard or that your boss at work is a big jerk or that you need more money to pay your rent in two weeks. All of that stuff is important. I think God cares about all of those details, but I need you to hear me say this. Your biggest problem this morning is that you need to be forgiven of your sin against a perfect and holy God. And that is why Martin Luther, uh, one of the great reformers of our faith, said that this line, the forgiveness of sin, is the most important line in the entire, entire Apostles' Creed. And the reason that Luther said that is because if this line isn't true, if there is no forgiveness of sin, then nothing else that we've studied in the creed matters because we're all doomed if this is not true. Like all the other incredible things that we've looked at the last 10 weeks about God being this awesome, almighty creator who created everything that is, who sent his only son, Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, lived a perfect life for us that we should have lived, died a death for us, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, sent us the Holy Spirit, birthed the church, like all these glorious things that we've studied. None of them matter if this is not true. None of them matter if this is not true. This is the most important line in the entire creed. Because if this is not true, everything else in the creed is completely meaningless because we are all headed for death and hell. Now, that's the bad news, but I got good news for you this morning. Listen, guys, in Christ, listen to me. In Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. In Jesus, we go from sinners to saints in his eyes. Now, let me show you what I mean. This will be on the screen for you. This is Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul writing to a, a church 2,000 years ago in a city called Ephesus. This is what he writes to them. He says, in him, that is Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now listen, church, he didn't have to forgive us, but I want you to listen to me, family, church family, because he loved you so much, he shed his blood to buy you back from the enemy. I want you to know you don't have to be a slave to guilt, regret, shame, or fear of God rejecting you on that final day anymore. Jesus paid it all to set you free. I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet. This is what Isaiah writes. This is God speaking, and he says this in Isaiah 43. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions or sins for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Look at Psalm 103. This is King David writing this, a man who was well acquainted with besetting sins in his own life. David writes this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How many of you know that there are benefits to knowing and following our Creator? Verse 3, who forget, underline that, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And that leads us right into our first big idea this morning. Number one on the screens for you, church family. If you're a note taker, write this down. Forgiveness unlocks the abundant life. Forgiveness unlocks the abundant life that we're all chasing after. The life that we're designed for is on the other side of the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus is the one who holds the key to that gate. Listen, guys. God is not stingy with his forgiveness. Don't, don't have this picture in your head of you like, like repenting or praying to God, confessing sin, and God's like, oh, I don't know, man. Let me think about this. Should I forget? No, no, no. God, God, is, God is generous. He wants to liberally give you his forget. Like he wants to forgive you. He delights in forgiving us. And I think that leads to the question then, well, how does the forgiveness of sin solve the problem that we started with? Death, right? Isn't, isn't death a great enemy? So how, how does me being forgiven from my sin based on the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how does that help me face this horrible, terrifying enemy called death. Does being forgiven by Jesus mean I get to somehow just like skip death? Like when it's my time, I just transport to heaven. That's not how it works. I think this is where the writers of the New Testament, the architects of the Apostles' Creed, point us to this really helpful idea of a coming bodily resurrection on the last day. See, listen, when, when, our, when, when, we, when we die, our souls are separated from our bodies. Now, now, I do want you to understand this. Like For the Christ follower, when, when we die, our souls are instantaneously in the presence of God in paradise. Like we, we have nothing to fear in death, believer. Nothing. But you also need to understand this. Even the saints who have gone on before us, they await the resurrection of the body where the soul and the body are going to be reunited forever. See, God doesn't just save our souls. He saves the whole. He's a holistic God. He's going to save all of us, body, mind, and soul. Now, you should know this. This idea separates the Christian worldview from just about every other worldview and every other religion out there. Because every other worldview either teaches that the physical realm is all that there is, 
Right? So if you're into like secular humanism, if you're agnostic, atheistic, the belief system is, man, this, this physical world is all we have. And so when we die, everything just fades to black and it all goes away and nothing we ever did really mattered in the end. And so we better cling to this life and cling to this body because this is all that there is. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have a lot of worldviews and religions, especially like Eastern religions. You get into Buddhism, even New Age stuff, which is really prevalent right where we live in Asheville. And the whole idea is the, the body is evil, right? So the goal is to leave this sinful, broken body and live in a spiritual state. Right? That, that's the end game, is to be freed from the shackles of our flesh and live in this spiritual state, nirvana, or whatever we want to call it. And the, the God of the Bible says, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm going to redeem all of you. I want to redeem all of you. I want to redeem your mind, and I want to redeem your soul, and I want to redeem your body. I want to redeem all of you. In fact, God goes, listen, I'm going to give you an upgrade in the resurrection. You're getting an upgrade. So if you got like a, for a body on this planet, you got like a hoopty 97 Honda Civic that splashes oil all over the place, just wait, because the new one is going to be like a souped-up Ferrari, Right? We're getting an upgrade in the resurrection. Now, the, the more I study this, particularly the older I get, the more excited I get for this. I want you to, I want you to, look, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This will be on the screens for you. This is incredible. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing the church in Corinth. If there were ever a church that struggled with sin, it was the church in, in Corinth. Listen to what Paul writes to him. He says this, so, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead, the body, that means our earthly bodies, the ones that we're all in right now, the body that is sown perishable, just meaning that it, it dies, it breaks down, things go wrong with it. It will be raised, I want you to underline the word, imperishable. It'll be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in, underline, glory. It is sown in weakness, it'll be raised in, underline, power. It is sown a natural body. It will be raised a spiritual body. Now, he's not saying that we're going to be like these disembodied spirits floating around when we die. He's saying that our spirits and our bodies are going to be joined together in one glorious resurrected body. It's going to be awesome. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, in my 20s, when I first became a follower of Jesus, uh, this idea of a resurrected body didn't get me very excited. Because right? I felt pretty good. Right? I could look down, six-pack. Felt, felt pretty good about myself. Nothing really hurt. So when I was like 20, 25, this didn't really get me fired up. But I'm telling you, the older I get, the more I look forward to the resurrected body. So listen, if you're in the room, you're watching online, you're under, I don't know, 35, what I'm about to say will not make any sense to you right now, but I want you to tuck it away in your back pocket because in a few years you're going to need to pull it out. But I'm just telling you, for me, as a 42-year-old man now, how many, of you, how many of you had this experience where you go to bed at night and nothing is wrong? You already know where I'm going with this. You go to bed at night and you're not injured. You're completely healthy. You feel good. And you wake up and you're injured. <laughs> you're like, man, what did I? All I did was I was laying there for eight hours on my pillow. And now I need a new hip and a spine transplant. Like, like I woke up this morning and my left hip hurt like I'm limping to the shower this morning. I'm not even kidding. I didn't do anything. I went to sleep. I woke up injured. I had to take Tylenol, all right? I came across a, a meme that I think speaks, speaks well to it. I want to show, show you this. 
Childhood injuries, fell off my bike, fell out of a tree, twisted my ankle. Adult injuries, slept wrong, sat down too long, sneezed too hard. <laughs> Isn't that true, man? Like, I get a little panicky when I'm about to sneeze now. I'm, I'm going to have to go see my chiropractor, right? I'm going to have to see Guilano back there, right? Because, by the way, if you need a chiropractor, Guilano is a good one. He's, he's in, our, in our church. But I get scared when I sneeze, man. I, like, try to hold, hold my ribs in like, so they don't snap out of place. The older... The older you get, the more this promise of a resurrected body gets you fired up. Listen, the, the, coming, the coming resurrection means, listen, y'all, no more backaches, no more seasonal allergies, no more Tums, no more anxiety meds, no more hemorrhoid cream for the 50-plus crowd. Don't email me. No more dental chairs. No more acne if you're under 20. No more sleep injuries if you're like me in your 40s, right? It's going to be incredible. Now, maybe you're like me and you've had questions. Like, or I don't know, maybe it's just me, but maybe you're like me and you've had some of these questions like, well, what, what will our resurrected body look like? Like, what, what, will they, what, what will they be able to do? Will people be able to recognize us? Will we be, will we be able to recognize other people? Will we be wearing clothes? Will we be in the buff? I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of details that the Bible simply does not give us answers to as it relates to the resurrected body. But here's three things that we do know just based on the text that we read in 1 Corinthians 15. Three things we know about our resurrected bodies. Number one is they will be imperishable. Verse 42. They will be imperishable. That means they will never grow old. They will never get sick. They'll never break down. They'll never hurt. We will be able to sleep with no fear of injuries in the resurrected body. That's a good day. Here's the second thing we know about our resurrected bodies, what they'll be like. Number two, Paul says they will be raised in glory, verse 43. Meaning, our resurrected bodies will be unimaginably beautiful, attractive, glorious, if you got hit with an ugly stick in this life, just wait. Tom Brady and Giselle will have nothing on your resurrected body. It'll be incredible. Number three says that our resurrected bodies will be raised in power. Verse 43. Our bodies, simply stated, will be able to do things that our current bodies are incapable of. Now, what all does that mean? I don't know what that means exactly. Here's, here's what I picture in my mind. Maybe this tells you a little about, about my psyche, but for, for me, I picture in the resurrected body that we're going to have, the new heavens and the new earth, I picture being able to wake up on Saturday morning and fly to the summit of Mount Everest with no airplane and have breakfast, breakfast on the summit of Everest and lunch be down in the beautiful, clear blue waters of the Caribbean Sea, diving to see all the underwater sea life with no oxygen tank. And by dinner time, being at the lamb's table, feasting with the most exquisite foods and wines that our minds can't even fathom now. Now, don't go look for that in Scripture. You're not going to find that in Revelation. That, that's my view of what it's going to be like. But if you think about even like the Gospels, like after Jesus is resurrected into his new resurrected body, we, we see some clues, right? Like people recognize him. He's not like this disembodied spirit or ghost floating around. Like he's a real, like he said, Thomas, touch me. He's got a real physical body. People recognize him. He, had the, he bore the, the, the marks, the scars of the crucifixion. 
He's hungry, right? He says, give me something to eat. They give him fish, like he's munching down on some fish. So I think, man, we're going we're gonna to eat, we're going to sleep, we're going to work, we're going to play. It's going to be like this world, except perfect. Now, Jesus also could do some pretty incredible things, like he would just like show up in the middle of a meeting with all the doors locked, right? Just scare the junk out of everybody. Like, hey, guys. So it's not going to be exactly like these bodies. I, look, I, don't, I don't know all the details. Here, here's what I know. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. And it's something that we can look forward to. We can stake our hope in. So here, here's, here's that leads right into truth number two on the screens for you. The promise of resurrection enables you to live a big life. The promise of resurrection enables us to live a big life. By that, I mean, listen, guys, we live in an age when so many people are ruled by fear. Just shackled by fear. Fear of everything. Fear of death, fear of viruses, fear of wars, fear of whatever it is for you or for me. Just shackled by fear. And what this doctrine teaches us is that the handcuffs of fear have been removed for the follower of Jesus. Like, like if, if we know we have a better life coming and even a better body right around the bend, that frees us up to live big lives for Jesus. To take bold risks. To, to give generously of our time and our talents and our treasures. To get on airplanes and take the gospel to distant lands. To risk rejection by telling our classmates or co-workers or neighbors about the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. We are free to live the big lives Jesus has created for us. And for centuries as Christians have suffered for their faith and been beaten and imprisoned and maimed and killed. Their hope has been, you can kill this body because I got a better one on the way. And this doctrine has provided hope and freedom to countless suffering believers through the centuries. And I hope it provides hope and freedom to your heart this morning. I think uh, Charles Spurgeon, the famous uh, English pastor, previous century uh, nails it he says this be on the screens for you Spurgeon says this spend your days not sighing over the present but singing over your future spend your days not sighing over your present but singing over your future listen Christian our future is secure and it's incredible it's incredible beyond our wildest dreams the forgiveness of sins ours in Jesus the hope of a bodily resurrection assured by the very resurrection of Jesus himself. And lastly, the last thing I want to talk to you about this morning is life everlasting, eternal life. Listen, have you ever been uh, somewhere, maybe you're on vacation or a work trip, mission trip, something like that, away from home, maybe another culture, uh, another country, uh, another state, something like that. And uh, you're, like, you're, you're enjoying your time, it's cool, you're having fun, but it's like, you just have this feeling like this doesn't quite feel like home. I remember uh, early on, Cheryl and I got married. After we'd been married a couple of years, we moved to uh, Southeast Asia to live and serve for a couple of years. And man, we, we came to love those people. We came to love that place. We were glad God sent us there. Um, but I remember just having this feeling like, man, this is, um, this is not home. Like as much as I love these people, as much as I love this place, it just doesn't feel like home. And sometimes we would hear a song on the radio or get a, get a whiff of uh, some, some street food or see someone that reminded us of a family member at home. And it would just kind of incite this 
nostalgic feeling of longing for home. And I think we have all experienced that on some level. I think we all experience that on a much deeper level in the sense that I think we all long for a place that we've never been. Right? We, all, we all long for something that just seems like it's right outside of our grasp. Like, like no matter how good your life is, it just seems like there's something just right outside of our reach that we were created for that we can't quite get. And some biblical scholars have called this the longing for Eden. Right, That what we lost all those years ago in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, that we all long to return home to a perfect creation and perfect harmony with our creator and one another. C.S. Lewis, an atheist who became a, a follower of Christ, had this to say about it. I'll put it on the screens for you. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Lewis would go on to write in his book, The Problem of Pain, all of your life, an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you awake to find beyond all hope that you have either attained it or else that it was within your reach and you have lost it forever. Listen, friend, what you believe about your future will radically impact how you live today. Let me say that again. What you believe about your future will radically impact how you live today. Maybe I could just illustrate it with a, a silly example. Let's, let's say, for instance, that uh, Bill Gates. Everybody knows who Bill Gates is, right? Founder of Microsoft, multi-millionaire, billionaire, whatever he is. One of the richest guys on planet Earth. Let, let's just say, hypothetically, that Gates becomes a, a follower of Jesus, right? And we can pray for that. Wouldn't that be awesome if he became a follower of Jesus? Let's say that Gates becomes a follower of Jesus. He's like, man, I, I got to get away from the hustle and bustle of Microsoft and living in the big cities. And so I'm, I'm going to move to the mountains of Asheville. To get away, and he joins New Life Community Church. So you're you're standing right by Bill Gates, man. He's got his hands up and he's worshiping Jesus. And he comes to me privately. And he's like, man, I want to give New Life a billion dollars. Say thank you, Lord. All right, that private jet I've always been dreaming of. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But let's just assume that Gates is here. He gives us some ungodly amount of money. And I say, okay, I, I want to I have a little social experiment. And so I come up here one Sunday morning. I say, hey, look, uh, I need two New Life volunteers, right? So I want you to come on stage. So two of you come up here. And I say, here's the deal. We're going to fly, both of you, to the Mojave Desert. And you're going to live in the Mojave Desert uh, for six months. In a tent, all you're going to have is bottles of waters and, can, uh, and cans of tuna to eat. And from sunup to sundown, you're going to be digging a ditch in the Mojave Desert, right? And I pull the first person aside, and I say, hey, look, uh, Listen, at the end of the six months, uh, because Gates is a part of our church and we can do stuff like this, I'm going to write you a check for $5,000. $5,000 and a lifetime supply of tuna fish in a can. All right? And let's say I go to the second person privately and I say, hey, listen, at the end of the six months, as hard as it is, I want you to know, because Gates is a part of our church, I'm going to write you a check for $500 million. You're going to have access to his private jet to fly around and visit the most exquisite restaurants in the entire world. Now, how are those two people going to engage those six months? Think they might engage them a little bit differently? The first person is going to be out there for like an hour and be like, Chris is such a jerk. Like, I, he talked me into this for 5,000. Like, I could make more ingles. I'm going back home. I'm getting on a plane. I'm going back home. The second person is going to be out there digging a ditch, singing, whistling, dancing, having the time of their life. Why? Because they know what's on the other end of it. 
They know what awaits them on the other end. And listen, guys, that makes all the difference in the world. What you believe about your future will radically impact how you live your life today. Now listen, Jesus has promised us that he's going to come back. He's, he's going to restore creation. He's going to restore Eden. He's going to give us resurrected bodies to live in the new heavens and the new earth better than anything that we could ever fathom or imagine. I want you to watch the Apostle John, Jesus' best friend. God gives him a vision of this uh, end times, of the new heavens and the new earth. And I want you to watch this picture that John paints for us of our future reality. He says this, Revelation 21, then I, saw, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, truth number three on the screens for you. Jesus is the one guide who can walk you all the way home, and there is no other. I want you to hear me say that clearly, and I say it in love. Jesus is the one guide who can walk you all the way home. And understand this, it's a glorious home. I love this quote from a poet named George Herbert. This will be on the screens for you. He said this, Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. I love that. I want to close with these words from the Apostle Paul, as he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self, our current earthly bodies, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, whatever suffering you're going through in life, whatever suffering I'm experiencing in my life, in, in light of what's coming for us, Paul calls it a light momentary affliction and it's preparing for us he says an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension like if you just got a glimpse behind the curtain right now of what eternity is going to be like your mind would explode in happiness for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal Christian, I want you to know and I want you to celebrate this morning. Believer, your sins are forgiven. Do you know that? Your resurrection is coming. Life everlasting in the new heavens and the new earth awaits you. Celebrate that. Be happy. And I want you to know if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're watching online and you're not a Christian, first of all, I'm happy that you're here. Maybe you're just exploring the faith. Maybe you came because somebody invited you or you just stumbled across the feed on your Facebook or whatever it is. Whatever the reason, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, 
God loves you. And he is inviting you into this forgiveness and everlasting life. I want you to know there is a seat at the table for you. But you got to pull up the chair and take your seat. Now, if you would just be honest and be like, man, Chris, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, this is a beautiful picture. Like, I long for this. I want what you're talking about. I want to know my creator in this way. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want the hope of a bodily resurrection, eternal life in the new heavens and new earth. If that's you, and you're like, man, I don't have what you're talking about, but I want it, I want to encourage you right after we sing in just a minute, I'm going to be right up here. We're going to have some other prayer partners. We would love to pray with you and tell you what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If you're watching online, reach out. We have chat hosts that would love to talk to you, pray with you, tell you what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Not a religious person. Someone who is, who is known by their creator and knows their creator in return. And what I want to do right now is I want, I want us to begin to land the plane by celebrating what Jesus has done, the forgiveness of sins because of his life, his death, his resurrection. We're going to do this in a tangible way. As the band comes, we're going to celebrate communion. All right now, if you're not familiar with that, this is not something that we do as a r religious ritual. This is us just celebrating what Christ has done for us. So there, there, you should have seen some cups, uh, some juice, some crackers on the way in. If you want to participate, you didn't get it, Go ahead and walk back to the back now. Grab some communion supplies. Come back to your seat. If you're watching online, feel free. Run to the kitchen. Grab some juice, some coffee, whatever you got, some crackers, some bread. And we're going to celebrate this in a tangible way, what Jesus has done for us. That our sins are forgiven. That our bodies are going to be made whole one day. That we have eternal life with Jesus. We're going to celebrate this in a tangible way with the bread and the juice. And as always, I want to just give you a minute to pray in silence. Prepare your hearts. If there's any, any sin in your life that you need to con con confess to the Father, anything that you need to get right with the Lord before we take uh, these elements together, this is your time to pray, and then we're going to celebrate. So you pray right where you are. Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, while we were your enemies, you loved us enough, even in our sin, to pursue us. To send Jesus into this mess that we've created on earth. To live a perfect, sinless life, the one that we should have lived but couldn't live. To die a, a brutal death, to pay for our sins against a perfect and holy God and the fact that he rose and offers us life now in him and forgiveness of sins in our own resurrection one day. Eternal life with him in the new heavens and the new earth. God, we can only imagine what it's like. Thank you for not leaving us in our sin. Thank you for rescuing us when we had no way to get to you. You came off the mountain and came after us. I pray, God, for the person who's watching online, for the person who's maybe in the room, who's maybe on the fence, this whole faith thing, this whole Jesus thing. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to their hearts right now. They would sense the overwhelming feeling and truth of your love for them. That you love them so much you came on a rescue mission for them. Now you want to forgive them. You want to set them free. Not only in this life, but the one to come. 
And I pray that that person would just have the courage to pray out in the silence of their own hearts and say, God, I know, I know I'm a rebel. I know I'm a sinner. I'm tired of doing life my own way. I want to I wanna know you. I want you to forgive my sins. I want the promise of the resurrection and eternal life, God. And so the best way I know how, I turn away from doing life my way and I pledge my life and my allegiance to King Jesus. And Father, I pray for the people that prayed that prayer that they would have the boldness to come and talk to somebody, come tell somebody, tell a friend that they came with, come talk to me, reach out to a chat host so that we could walk this new journey of following Christ with them well. We love you. We thank you so much. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to recite the creed one last time, then we're going to take the bread and the juice. The creed will be on the screens for you. If you believe it, I want you to say it like you mean it with me. On the count of three, one, two, three. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into heaven. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now the night before Jesus was crucified, he shared one last meal with his disciples. He gave thanks to the Father, broke apart the bread. He gave the bread to his disciples and symbolically to his modern day disciples today. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we eat in remembrance of our Savior this morning. After that, he took the cup from the table and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we drink in remembrance of Jesus this morning. Amen. Church family, let's worship our King.